Well, take your Bibles and find your way to Philippians chapter 4. The passage of Scripture that was read for us this morning is not the passage that we will be unpacking, but I had that read because it is related to what we're going to be looking at this morning in Philippians chapter 4. It's very likely that the teaching that lies behind our passage in Philippians 4 is what we read this morning from Matthew chapter 6. So the passage that we're looking at is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, verses that I would anticipate a large majority of folks, even in this room, who have been Christians for some time, have memorized. I'll read it aloud. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This passage is both irritating and amazing all at the same time, right? Do not be anxious. Pray and enjoy God's peace. Close your Bibles, we can all go home. That's the sermon in a sentence. Do you have trouble with anxiety, with being anxious? I do. It's a constant problem in my heart. A dictionary definition of anxiety reads like this, a feeling of worry or nervousness or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. One scholar defined anxiety this way, anxiety seems to be an intense desire for something accompanied by a fear of the consequences of not receiving it. And those are the thoughts that keep you awake at night. Or I've heard it put this way, probably the most memorable way that I've heard it put. Worry is not believing God will get it right. Bitterness is believing God got it wrong. What a simple summary of those truths. So what are you anxious about this morning? Now, some things are worth being anxious about. Not all anxiety is sinful. There is a right thing to be anxious about crossing a busy road. That's what makes you look both ways, hopefully, and preserves your life. There are some worthwhile things to be anxious about in a healthy way, not a sinful way. Paul describes, even in his own life, that he had a care or an anxiety for all the churches in 2 Corinthians 11, and that was not him confessing sin. That was him confessing something good and right and appropriate for him as an apostle. So there are appropriate types of anxiety and concern. Not all of it is sinful, but most of what we experience in life, what keeps us awake at night, what makes us sour and short with our families, what causes us is sinful worry and anxiety. And we live in a world where anxiety levels keep rising. So society is not helping us, right? I read an article in The Atlantic not too long ago that discussed the dramatic rise in anxiety in teenage girls. Reported anxiety levels of teenage girls over the last few years are twice that of boys of the same age. So teenagers, this is not just an old person problem. Right? Anxiety can be mentally, even physically debilitating. Proverbs 12:25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. And I would venture that really everyone in here, really regardless of age, you have felt that. You have been weighed down. I remember even as a kid, um, now this was anxiety that I caused myself, but doing something wrong and it was kind of wait till your father gets home. You talk about something that produces anxiety in a kid. Right? And you're like, well, that wasn't sinful. That was appropriate. You get it, but it touches all of us, right? Any age, any sector, any phase. 
So the text for us today is very relevant and important if we want to live a faithful and winsome witness of the gospel of Jesus in a pagan world that is racked and and controlled and paralyzed by anxiety and and pursuing all sorts of ways to self-medicate and cope anxiety and destroying lives because of it. And we as Christians sometimes can get pulled along in those same paths. How do we not do that? So the text for us today is very relevant and important. And also, it's a little bit irritating because it's so direct. (laughs) It's so simple. So we're going to use uh, Paul's passage to work our way through the sermon in three simple steps. Number one, do not be anxious about anything. There it is in verse six. Do you see it? Okay, I didn't make those words up. That's the way they're written. Do not be anxious about anything. Does that irritate you? You can be honest, okay? I mean, does Paul not realize the world we live in? Has he not read, you know, the news reports? Is he not scrolling any of the news feeds? Is he not aware of the pressures and risks and the evil that are all around us and threatening us? Are the Philippians kind of living this life that is just kind of easy-peasy and they can just kind of obey this? Well, actually, the Philippians have their own reasons to be anxious. And they're found here in our text. If you kind of read them just overtly and then read a little bit between the lines, but in chapter 1, he tells them, don't be frightened by your opponents. So they were threatened by opponents of the gospel. He tells them that they were to, to live in a certain way as humility, with unity, preferring others more than themselves. Those words were not just idealistic pies in the sky for some day later. Those were words that the church needed to hear presently because they were involved with internal conflict, anxiety-producing internal conflict. They were concerned for their ministry partner, Epaphroditus, who almost died in, the execu- in, in carrying out his ministry to Paul on behalf of the church. They were, they were concerned about their beloved missionary church planner, Paul, who was in prison. When they sent gifts through Epaphroditus, they also may have been a bit worried about God's provision, which is why Paul assures them, we haven't gotten to this text yet, but a little bit later in chapter 4, verse 19, he says, God will supply all your needs. They had given to him, they had given to Paul, and, and Paul is writing to encourage and assure them, God will provide for you. Maybe there was anxiety in their own hearts about God's provision to them. We can surely identify with these causes, can't we? Just modernize them a little bit, and it's like we're living in Philippi. Similar issues, similar challenges. So then how can the Bible command us, how dare it command us, do not be anxious? When there are pleasant, plenty of reasons that we could say, I have, I have just cause to be anxious. Well, the simple truth is this, because the Bible says so. Because Jesus says so. That's where I'm going to have us go. Take your Bibles, and if you have them, flip over or or find your way digitally over to Matthew chapter 6. We will be here very briefly, but I just want to, um, again, put this text in front of you because I believe this is the the larger content laying behind the Apostle Paul's instruction to Philippi in chapter 4 of Philippians. In Matthew 6, Jesus is warning against being overly focused on storing up physical wealth. And he summarizes that warning in verse 24 with the simple fact that no one can serve two masters, and wealth will always try to be your master. But we as Christians should have God as our master, and we can only serve one. So then we should not be enslaved to accruing and pursuing and amassing wealth. Well, wealth is important. Money is important in the sense of we have to pay bills. It's part of living. And so how then as Christians can we be freed from that? How can we not have that anxiety push us into being enslaved to money. And Jesus speaks into that by saying, you can trust God. God's got this. You're a Christian. He's your father. You can trust him. 
And that's what he goes then into unpacking, and he uses illustrations that you heard read this morning in verse 26. Listen, birds don't have silos. They're not amassing things into silos. They are basically living day by day. And how is it that they're not just dead birds all over the place all the time? It's because God is faithful to little birds to feed them. Birds that you don't really think about during the day until you see one dead on the road. And you think, oh, that's sad. But it's unique. It's unusual. And he continues to go on and says, listen, he he argues against sinful worry in verse 27. He's telling us that, honestly, anxiety for us is pointless. None of us is ultimately in control. You think your worry is going to make a difference? It doesn't. It just ruins your life. And it shows the lack of confidence and trust that you don't have in God. In verse 27, he says, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Well, none of us can. And Jesus' point is, you're not in control of your life. God is. He's got you. He'll provide for you. We can't control tomorrow, verse 34. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Man, how much do I need to confess that sin, right? Worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day of its own trouble. Essentially, you don't control tomorrow. God's already in control of it. Don't worry. He brings up anxiety about clothing and food and drink in the next verse in 28. And he's saying Jesus is proving God's trustworthiness with the illustration of a meadow or a field that is adorned with a beauty and a glory that far surpasses the most wealthy ruler of ancient Israel's past, Solomon. Solomon was so wealthy that he, he was eating off of precious metals. That's how common, how wealthy Solomon was. And Jesus is saying, God does something even greater in glory on a field that's going to flourish and die and wither away. He'll take care of you because you are far more valuable than that. Three times Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry, don't be anxious. And he proves it. He's talking us into that. In verse, the end of verse 30, Jesus presses the specific issue happening in us when we worry is this. He says, we're, we're not believing God is trustworthy. Oh, you have little faith. We are not believing God. So sinful worry is an issue not because it affects our mental state or it degrades our physical health, although that may be true. But the biggest issue when we worry and sin is that Christians are giving way to living as if God is not trustworthy. That he'll get it wrong. He won't get it right. So then how do we muster up this kind of faith? How do we obey, do not be anxious about anything? Well, the answer is found back in Philippians 4. So flip back there as we continue in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but this text doesn't stop there. Praise God for that. He says, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, do not be anxious about anything. Number two, let God know about everything. Let God know about everything. These commands go together. They do not stand apart. So, if you're trying to figure out which one you're going to obey this week, they have to go together. You can't do one without the other. They are biblical counterweights. The only way you can not be anxious about anything is by praying about everything. That's how this text functions. And there are a few words that Paul piles together to describe prayer. And I don't think it's because there's like a whole lot to unpack on the nuances of these. Maybe that could be helpful. Really what he's doing is he's repeating these words for for effect. And he's pressing us into what the, the obedience that he's calling us to do as a people who are prone to sinful anxiety. He's telling, he's saying, listen, pray to God, talk to him. 
Tell him your specific needs. Pray about the needs of others, supplication. And we can do this. And as we do this, we will find that we will stop little by little being anxious. Prayer has been called the breath of God dependence. Now, we all like to say we trust God, right? Uh, If we were going to give a multiple choice test, do you trust God, yes or no? Which one would you choose? And it didn't have your name on it. Um, We would all be like, yeah, I trusted him, you know, before I ate dinner last night. I said, thank you, God. We all like to think that we trust God. But one way we can evaluate the honesty of our assessment is by examining our relationship to God in prayer. And this is where we squirm. This is where I squirm. It's a simple Bible fact. If you are not a Christian who prays, you don't really trust God. Now, I know that's kind of a kick in the teeth for us. It's a simple Bible fact. Or think of it this way. In as much as you pray, and for what you pray, that is the true indication of the extent of how and what you trust God with. So we're all feeling a little self-condemned now, aren't we? Here's the good news. We will only experience spiritual growth and look at what we're looking forward to in verse 7. Right? Verse 7. And the peace of God, right? Now that's what we all want. So that's the prize ahead of us. The path to it is don't be anxious. How do we not be anxious? Paul is laying it out. Tell God about everything. So friends, this radically transforms our approach to praying. Too often, we can look at spiritual disciplines as duties to perform, as boxes to check off, as requirements to fulfill so that we can kind of, I've done the good Christian thing, I've fulfilled my obligation, I'm now pious, I'm now now spiritual. And we kind of look at it that way and it just sucks the life out of it. Do you realize that God is saying, this is the path to know his peace? He is promising to provide it. And he says, I want you to tell me everything. Now, if you're a parent and you have children that are older than 10 or 12, you would love for them to, be, to have a relationship with you where they would just tell you everything. The things that cause anxiety in parents, especially with teenagers, are the things that you don't know, okay? you, you wonder about. Okay? Those are the things that kind of make you anxious. And as a parent, you have a heart of wanting to know so you can help and encourage right, and care. That's God's disposition to us. Tell me everything. Everything. So then, what happens is we kind of flip back and forth with God in prayer often through binges of prayer. Life is going okay. We kind of think that we've got this and things don't go okay. We realize we don't got this. Life falls apart. We realize we need some divine intervention. And so we pray. And then the Lord is kind and merciful and he comes through and helps in a circumstance or he gives us faith to endure through a circumstance and Things turn around and, man, our true colors, right? Our hearts are so prone to wander, right? We sing. And we start to think, hey, we got this. And we wander off into self-dependence. The Apostle Peter wrote about the relationship between anxiety and prayer. And he calls, really, he calls us to humility. When we are not a praying people, we are a proud people. We're this little lump of clay saying, got this. And then life just kind of squishes us. And realize, oh, we need God. We are the creature. 
The Apostle Peter writes about it this way, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And you say, well, why? For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God for this purpose, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. How do you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, you ask? Peter tells us right here, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Friends, humility before God means you cast all your cares on Him. Peter is assuring them, he's inviting them into this, not out of duty or obligation, but out of a relationship of love. He cares for you. So, God knows our needs and he cares about our needs. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this. Uh, we, we read it earlier this morning. I'll just read it aloud here. He says, he tells them, listen, don't, don't be anxious. Don't worry. And by the way, one of the ways that our worry shows itself, and man, I'm guilty of this. I'm a verbal processor. It's we repeat ourselves. We talk about it, right? You're anxious, and so you just keep talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. And sometimes we do that with God. We think we're going to get God's attention by talking to God about this a lot. And, and he says, listen, don't pile up words like the pagans do, trying to impress God out of kind of self-flagellation through this spiritual exercise of much speaking. He says, no, don't do that. Why? The Gentiles seek after all these things and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows. So tell him everything, but be assured he knows. And you say, well, then why bother praying? Right? Some of you logically just jump there, right? Like if God knows, then why is he troubling us with this? Do we have to really go through the, you know, the form of, God, I want to tell you about my problem. He already knows my problem. So why isn't he coming through? Is, is, this, is this Christian religion just kind of this big Ponzi scheme? No, it's not because God needs us to pray we need it. We need it. God says, come to me and I will provide. I will show you my faithfulness. As you read through the Old Testament over and over again, Israel, as they wander, were put into circumstances by God's design where they faced dramatic need. They were thirsty in the wilderness. They were hungry in the wilderness. And he wanted to test and prove and to see, would they trust in him? And time and again, they doubted God's ability to come through. And God would say, I will show you that I am powerful enough to fulfill my word of promise. And he gave them manna, and he gave them quail, and he gave them water from a rock. And we read those stories and we think, cool, for Israel. Friends, we have the same God who provides. Tell God everything. Faith is what pleases God, Hebrews 11. Faith. So at the heart of the command, do not be anxious, is a biblical call to believe God. Trust him. He'll get it right. Tell him everything. The commands for us not to worry about anything, he can do that because God knows all things about everything in life and he alone is the one who is able to wisely and perfectly provide our every need. And so in Luke chapter 12, which is the parallel passage to Matthew chapter 6, in Luke chapter 12, the summary statement that's recorded about Jesus bringing this section to an end about don't worry and, and God has provided for the fields and the birds and Don't worry. Jesus summarizes it this way. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. And here we are wringing our hands, worried. God is saying, fear not. I'm ready to give you the kingdom. Trust me. Tell me. Pray to me. That is what God is doing. Now, here is one danger, and there's one practical um, caution in this text. 
and it's uh, in verse 6 when he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Then you have this preposition in, in a word, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And that's very crucial. One danger we might fall into as we come to God in prayer is we might come to God in prayer, not in faith, but with a complaining, accusatory spirit. And I mentioned Old Testament Israel as an example. They came to God, they came to God complaining, accusing God of not being faithful. They didn't come to God saying, we need you to show your faithfulness and we look to you. There were times when Israel did that. They were surrounded by a horde of an army and the king took a letter and laid it and says, God, our eyes are upon you. They're on you, God. That's different than other occasions where Israel was saying, God, you've abandoned us. We want different gods, gods that will provide for us. So how do we safeguard against praying like that to God? The safeguard is found in verse 6. Pray with thanksgiving. Now, this can be all sorts of confused. Which, by the way, this ties back to verse 4, where when Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And this command now to pray about all the things that make us anxious. See how rejoicing and anxiety are really close here in this text? And then he says, Pray about your anxieties to God with thanksgiving. We kind of scratch our heads and go, I'm supposed to thank God for the circumstance that's causing me anxiety? No. No. Um, so I want us to just rid ourselves of the notion of that sick, sweet, syrupy, fake Christianity. Hardship strikes and you say, I thank God for, you know, destroying my life. Um, bad things are bad things. Evil is evil. Right? God is the author of good. Now, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. And there's a mystery in the providence of God and how evil is actually used in this world, not with God responsible for the evil, but God, God accomplishing his purposes and plans despite the evil and even in and through evil that happens in this world. But evil is still evil. And God does not call Christians to thank God for evil. So I want us just to make sure we don't get stuck in this fake, sick, sweet, syrupy kind of Christianity. He is saying we will thank God with thanksgiving. The thankfulness is God-centered. He says in verse 4, rejoice how? You see it there? Rejoice how? In the Lord. Our thankfulness then is in the Lord. So as we face circumstances that cause anxiety, Paul is encouraging and reminding these Christians, as you cast all your cares on God, as you tell him about everything so you're not anxious about anything, do it with thanksgiving in the Lord. Remember who you are in Jesus. What God has given to you in Christ how he's changed you and transformed you, how he's secured you, what he's done for you eternally, where the worst circumstance of this world can't touch it. Even death itself cannot undo the promises of God for you in Jesus Christ. That is where our thankfulness should be, should be anchored. Rejoicing in the Lord, our thankfulness is in the Lord. Here's an example, and we sing this together as a church in a hymn. Psalm 103, the song that we sing is called 10,000 Reasons. We don't sing all 10,000. That'd be a long song. But here's a summary of them, right? In Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. What are we doing? We're rejoicing in the Lord. We are, we are coming to the Lord with thanksgiving. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Okay, they're getting ready to be thankful. What are they? Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. We could keep reading. So friends, as we battle anxiety about anything, 
by praying to God about everything. We do it with thanksgiving in the Lord in whom we have all things. All things. Recalling God's goodness and mercy will save you from the pitfalls of having an ungrateful soul toward God as you work through times of anxiety. And that's what, that's what can happen. If we're not deliberately thankful, we become tunnel-visioned on our problems. That's what happens to me, right? I mean, something, something bad happens in your life and your whole life is bad. The totality of your life is bad. That's how quickly bad news can just crash in. And some bad news is that big. There are some things that cause anxiety that are that hard. So how do we as Christians live a life worthy of the gospel that marks us as different, as redeemed, as transformed, that makes us shine as lights in this pagan world? We're people who are thankful in the Lord as we trust God with everything. So then, as we remember God's past faithfulness to us, it encourages us to trust him for present and future faithfulness to us with thanksgiving. So what's the result of obeying this passage? Well, that's where we find in verse 7, and that's what everyone wants to get to, right? We want to just be anxious and then jump to verse 7. Friends, there's a path there. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, verse 7 will not happen if you will not obey verse 6. It won't happen. Some of you... The peace of God eludes you because God is merciful by not giving it to you because you refuse to humble yourself before him and pray about everything. And what God is calling you to do is confess your pride, your arrogance of thinking you can do this on your own, that you don't need God. Confess that and trust him with everything and then believe that verse 7 will come to pass, that God will be faithful. The peace of God, by the way, will never be experienced if we, if we do not first have the peace with God. And, and I'll get to that here in just a minute. Um, the effects of this peace, do you see that in verse 7? Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard would have been a word that would have brought up immediate real-life imagery for his original readers. Philippi was a Roman colony. There was a Roman garrison there. And there were Roman soldiers garrisoned, looking over, guarding this, this, this colony. And so just as a Roman garrison was guarding over this city, so God will use his peace to guard over your hearts and minds. And the hearts and minds here that he refers to, heart is that reference to the whole inner person. In the Old Testament, it's like, um, guard your heart for out of it flow all the issues of life. It's that command center of who you are as an entire person. And minds, that intellect, where we, where we rehearse and we revisit and where we worry kind of mentally, God is saying, listen, God's peace is going to guard the areas of your life where anxiety touches you most deeply. Places where the things of this world that people try to use to cope with anxiety can't touch. Not really. Drugs and alcohol and experiences and activities and other ways that we try to cope as a, human, as a race with the anxiety that debilitates us, we're all trying to get some sort of effect on our heart and our mind. And the only thing that we'll get there is the peace of God. Now, the peace of God described in verse 7 says it surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? Well, it means this. I can almost hear some of his readers naturally objecting. Maybe you are. If you're like, Sean, I've tried this. I've tried this. 
I've been anxious and I've been a good Christian and I've cried out to God. I've told him about everything. And I got up off my knees and I was just as anxious as I was when I went down on my knees. And so you're like, I think I'm going to call the Bible's bluff. Where's God's peace? Well, I would say, hang in there. I don't know God's timing. I don't know all that God is doing in you and through you, through that. God does 10,000 things in one thing and the hard thing in your life may not really be all about you. How about that? Remember, we all like to think that we're kind of the star in our lives and all of you guys are extras in my life. But actually, it's the other way around. God's the star in the world and I'm not, we're just like, we're like unnamed extras, right? God's doing something magnificent and we get to kind of tag along. We're not even in the credits, right? And so I don't know all that's going on, but just a little perspective. Maybe God has wisdom and reasons that are beyond you. I've heard it described this way. It's like a farmer trying to describe to the cow why he's giving him a shot, right? I mean, the cow's like freaking out because the farmer's holding him down and putting a shot into him. This is Colorado. I can use farm right analogies, right? I know we actually, uh, you all go to the supermarket. I do too. There's not cows roaming around, but you get the idea. He's giving him a shot and it'd be like the farmer trying to say to the cow, here's the reasons why I'm doing this. Number one, it's going to help you. Number two, it's going to keep you from getting sick. Number three, it's going to keep you from dying before I want you to die so I can eat you. I mean, the, the cow is going to be like, the cow has no comprehension of this. They are two beings of a different order. That's, God is God. So just some perspective there philosophically on things that cause us anxiety. And as we say, God, where's your peace? But friends, I want us to understand that the past, that it surpasses all understanding in this. And I brought up your objection because that's exactly what Paul wants his readers to be assured of. It surpasses understanding because God's peace shows up in the situations and circumstances where you don't think it's possible. You think it's impossible. Like, there's no way I'm going to find peace here. And God says, I will show you. I will prove to you that I am God. It'll blow your mind that my peace can enter your heart and mind if you will. Not worry about anything, but trust me with everything. With thanksgiving in the Lord, my peace will reign. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary in that it shows up where and when you think it's impossible. It shows up where and when you think, this doesn't make sense. And if, have you had that happen? Maybe you have. Or have you talked to somebody where that... I've, I've had that happen, but there's been times where I've had somebody talk to me who's had that happen. Does that make sense? Are you still with me? And I've been like irritated at them, like, well, good for you. I'm glad God came through for you. And it's almost like, how in the world did you have this peace in the middle of that? It surpasses understanding. What a testimony of God's faithfulness. So think about it. The guy who wrote this is in prison, wondering if he's going to be executed by Roman guards. It doesn't make sense for him to say rejoice and be prayerful and be thankful. And by the way, God's peace will rule and reign. He was writing from personal experience. Now, I mentioned this earlier, and I'm going to come back to it as we close. But maybe you're not a Christian, and you're really interested in this whole, like, man, this is, this is what I'm looking for. The peace that you're talking about has eluded me. I've pursued it. it uh, everything I try to find it in, it always eludes me. It always leaves my heart empty. I mean, I've found the end of Netflix, and I'm still anxious. Friends, you may be looking for that, and I just want us to all realize that according to the Bible, this peace only comes from God And the only way to have the peace of God is first to have peace with God. So if you're not Christian, I want you to hear this very carefully, that the Bible teaches this, that since we have been justified by faith, since we've been made right with God through embracing Jesus, 
Here's the result. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you will never, you will never have the peace of God described like this in your life if you do not have the peace with God through Jesus Christ. That means you have to know personally the Prince of Peace to know his peace. Now, here's the good news. The Prince of Peace is ready and offered himself to you that you might know him as Lord and Savior if you will turn from your efforts of self-salvation, of self-justification, of self-righteousness or irreligiousness and embrace him as your treasure, as your Lord, as your Savior, the one who took your penalty for the wrongs that you know you're guilty of, the condemnation that when you're honest with yourself in the dark moments of the night that they haunt you and you wonder, how can I make amends? How will I know that I've done enough? when I stand accountable to some ultimate final judge, if you will embrace Christ to be the one who stands between you and your condemnation, you then will have peace with God and then you can know the peace of God. And God makes peace with us through Christ. So Christian, what is keeping you from making your requests known to God? Why won't you pray? How can your life be different this week as you battle anxiety by obeying this passage? And think of this. How powerful do you think our witness could be as a church? How more powerful could our witness be as a church if we are a people who, as we're scattered in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our, in, as we scatter out as ambassadors of the kingdom of God that God delights to give us, How powerful might you think our witness could be if we are a people marked by the peace of God? And as our neighbors and our unsaved counterparts hear about hard things happening in our life, anxiety-producing circumstances in our life, and yet we are just kind of oddball as we cope through that. There's like some sort of, from their perspective, like some sort of like Jedi power going on in us that's Unusual, and it's not Jedi power, it's the Spirit of God. It's the peace of God that surpasses understanding, that guards and keeps our hearts. Friends, here's the good news. The peace of God that you long for is not something that you create or conjure. It's something that God gives. And that's so encouraging, because God that we serve is generous, and he's given us the Prince of Peace.